Hey, you sound like um, the congregation at Newburgh Friends where we worship uh, each week during the greeting time. Uh, it could go on quite a while if, if somebody didn't say, well, okay, let's do the next thing. I'm glad to be with you. I have my with today. Uh, we are retired and live at Friends U Retirement Community in Newburgh. And uh, we live in a duplex, and our next door neighbor, the person who lives in the other end of the duplex, is Connie McGee. And uh, we were outside the other day chatting, and I said, how long should I plan to take to get to Vancouver? And she told me, and she thought a while, and she said, maybe I'll drive you there. And I said, well, how about I drive you there? And so, um, and then Ruth Field decided to come along, too. So some of you who've been here a while know both Connie and Ruth. It's good to have them as our neighbors and, and to have uh, been able to chat with them along the way here today. In the Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter, um, that's a chapter in Matthew's Gospel that just has one controversy after another, near the end of the life of Jesus. Religious leaders were constantly trying to um, pin his ears back, so to speak, uh, catch him in some kind of a mistake, catch him in some error uh, that would give them a legitimate reason to condemn him. And in the course of that, those many incidents of conflict, one of the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, <clears throat> what's the greatest commandment? And he answered with words that you'll recognize. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, <clears throat> I heard those words a couple of years ago in another time of conflict. I was in a group of people who were discussing a particular moral issue, and some people were on one side of the issue and were quoting verses of Scripture, and some other people were on the other side of the issue and quoting some other verses of Scripture. And then someone got up and said, well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and I don't know about you, but if it's a rule versus Jesus, I'm going with Jesus, and I'm just going to love people. (laughs) And uh, even as those words were spoken, I thought, well, yes, but how do you define love? Or in my way of thinking, I, I put it this way, what does love look like? How do you know when somebody's loving God with everything they've got? What does it look like in their life? Or what does it look like when they're loving their neighbors, when they're loving other people as they love themselves? What does that look like? And it set me to thinking, and uh, I spent several months just reflecting on those words. And I want to share with you this morning a little bit of my journey and what I learned um, in in searching the Scriptures. Because, you see, um, I don't think it settles anything to just say, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to get to the specifics. What does that look like? What does it mean? Well, the next time I looked at these verses in Matthew 22, if you want to turn, it's the 22nd chapter of Matthew, and the actual words that I've quoted are from verse 37 to 39, that there's a little bit uh, bigger paragraph that's the context. But the next time I looked at those verses, I noticed that in the same chapter, the same 22nd chapter of Matthew, back in verse 13, Jesus speaks about a time where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And I said to myself, well, that probably doesn't fit in most people's definition of love. What's that about? And if you flip back a chapter to the 21st chapter of Matthew, you read about that incident that, again, I think most of us know about, where Jesus uh, went into the temple and chased some business folks out. And not with the kindest words. Is that what love looks like? If you flip ahead to the 23rd chapter, there's a whole section there that sometimes is called the seven woes because in the older translations of Scripture, um, Jesus, the words of Jesus always in each of these cases began with the words, woe to you. And he goes through a whole list of things. But, for example, that's, that's the section where one of the things he says is you're like whited sepulchers, you're like painted tombs, inside are dry bones. And then he went on to say, you're hypocrites and you're lawless. Well, again, does that sound like love to you? Does it look like love? Does, does confronting somebody that directly and personally and saying you're like an empty tomb, you're a hypocrite, does that sound like love to you? Uh, that was enough. Just looking at these three chapters, 21, 22, and 23 in Matthew's Gospel, was enough for me to say, well, okay, clearly when Jesus talked about loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbor as ourselves, he wasn't talking about cheap sentimentality. He wasn't talking about just casual, big smile on your face, um, puffery. He was talking about something deeper. He was talking about something more profound. So how do we know what he meant? I want to look a little more closely at these verses in Matthew's Gospel and some other verses. Um, One of the things that Jesus said in verse 40, he said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, you may know that that phrase, uh, the law and the prophets, that's, that's a code word that means what we would call the Old Testament. If we're talking about the Old Testament, we'll talk about from Genesis to Malachi. The, the Hebrews talked about their, Old Test, their testament, their covenant of Scripture, as the law and the prophets. And Jesus said, these two commandments, love God with everything, Love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes all the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament is summed up with those two commandments. Well, again, we better know what we're talking about. What kind of love are we talking about? One quick way to get at it is to, use, to look at the word that Jesus used for love. Many of you know that the Greek language has more words for love than English. And so different kinds of love get called in English the same word, love. But they have a great variety of uh, of meaning. The one that Jesus used here is what we sometimes call agape love. It is a self-sacrificing love. It is the kind of love with which God loves. In the best interest of others, it's the kind of love that we're reading about when we read that God so loved the world, he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a self-giving love. And so when When Jesus said to this religious leader, love God with everything you have, he's talking about that kind of love, a self-sacrificing love. Well, I decided to just check uh, a little more fully into the Scripture 
Because you see, something very important to see about verse 40. As I mentioned, this is where he says, these two verses summarize all the law and the prophets. Well, here's what's interesting. Some of you may already know this. I think I knew it at one point and had forgotten. But these two commandments that Jesus cites here are not fresh in his mind in the moment of that controversy. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the law. He's quoting specifically from the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, let me just uh, take you there and show you what he's quoting from first. Deuteronomy 6. I think uh, verse 6 is where I'm looking. No, it's, it's, it's verses 4 and 5. Listen, O Israel. This is, these are the words of Moses. He's speaking to the people just before they are to enter into the promised land. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Jesus, when he answers this religious leader, the greatest commandment, he's Moses. And I'll get to it in a little bit, but I'll just give you a little bit of an advance warning. When he says the second commandment is like it, you must love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting again from the Old Testament, that time from the book of Leviticus. Now that tells us something very important that we need to recognize because I think many Christians, and I have been in this kind of um, mental framework myself at times, we think of the Old Testament as the law and the New Testament grace. The Old Testament is the God who's angry and scolding his people and uh, correcting them through historical events. And the New Testament is where in Christ he comes with love and he comes with grace and he comes with forgiveness and he gives us the gift of salvation. That's only true on the surface because the reality is it's the same God in the Old and the New Testaments. It's the same God who loves us in the book of Deuteronomy as who loves us in the Gospel of Matthew. God who's asking for us to love him with everything we have in both Testaments and the same God who's willing to forgive us in both Testaments. All you have to do is do the Old Testament and you discover how many times over and over and over again God forgave willful and sinful people, rebellious people, and gave them another start and another another start, till we come to the climax of the New Testament where in Jesus Christ at the cross, our sinfulness, our willfulness, our disobedience uh, is met head on by the love of God and the grace of God. And we find forgiveness for our sins and we find new life. Well, let me remind you something of the grace of God in the Old Testament. I wouldn't expect you to remember this off the top of your head. But when we get these two, um, when we get this word about uh, loving God with all your strength, um, earlier in the book of Exodus, uh, God gives some commandments and and he says, I'll bless you if you follow these commandments. And those are the commandments to which Moses is referring when he says, Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and your strength, and verse 6, in Deuteronomy 6, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and 
on your gates. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, and pay attention to these commandments. What commandments is he talking about? He's talking about what we call the Ten Commandments. And in the, in the chapter previous, in chapter 5, he repeats, he quotes those commandments. They were given earlier. We read them in the book of Exodus. Now, here's what's significant to me. A lot of people who are not part of the church think of the God of the Old Testament, as I said before, as kind of this mean and cranky guy. And uh, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, probably to most people outside the church, don't have much relevance today. Um, and they might just say that's a bunch of no-nos. In fact, there's a humorous story you may have heard about a, a um, copywriter who applied for a job with a newspaper. There was a time when people actually were applying for newspaper jobs. Um, in this day and age, they're just trying to save their newspaper jobs because they're going away fast. But this guy applied for a job, and he was interviewed by an editor. And she said, well, how good are you at condensing? And he said, oh, I'm pretty good at it. So she handed him a sheet of paper, and she said, here, take a couple of minutes and condense this uh, to as brief a, an article as you can. Well, what she had handed him was a list of the Ten Commandments. So he sat down, and he went to work, and after just a brief time, he came up, and he gave uh, to her a sheet of paper, and she looked down, and there was one word, and the word was, don't. And isn't that the way most people think of the Ten Commandments? Don't. And with some justification, because in the old King James, it says, thou shalt not. But again, if you think about the context historically, if you think about the timeline of when those commandments are given, they're given after, after God has released the Hebrews from four centuries of servitude. Those commandments are given after they are finally released from the grip of Pharaoh by the giving of the plagues. Those commandments are given after they're led through the sea and escape. After his army is destroyed by those same waters. After they have begun that long, struggling journey. In other words, it's not as if God is saying, here's some commandments. You do what I tell you, and I'm going to bless you. Well, that's true. He's going to bless But the deliverance came before the commandments. God had already been gracious with them. God had already saved them. God had powerfully proven his reality to them through all kinds of miracles. And so when he says, keep these commandments and I'll bless you, I believe what he's really saying is, this is the way I made the world. You pay attention to these specifics and live this way, and you're going to find blessing. Someone has said, that um, you don't want to rub your hand against um, the splinters of the universe. In other words, if, if uh, well, just this last week, I actually had a real splinter in my finger. I didn't know it when I got it, but I discovered it later, probably the same way you, most of you discover a splinter. I don't remember what I was doing, but all of a sudden I had pain in my finger. And I looked down, I didn't see anything. Went back to work, and in a little bit, I had another pain. I looked down, and finally I saw a little tiny splinter. Well, I know from experience, as you do, you don't want to leave a splinter there because it's going to keep snagging on stuff and hurting. And if you don't take it out, 
it very well could get infected and cause bigger problems. And, and that's, it seems to me, a picture of what, when we ignore the laws of the universe, the way God made the universe, the way he, the way he meant for us to live, if we ignore that and try to work against it, that's like a, a moral sliver. And if we don't address it, if we don't deal with it, it can cause poison to our body. There are a lot of people who don't uh, believe that there are any moral laws in the universe. Now, they probably do believe there are physical laws in the universe. They know that if they jump off a 20-story building, there are negative consequences. There are consequences when we ignore the moral laws of the universe. And sometimes we find that out from sad experience. So I say again, commandments that Moses commanded the people to keep are a blessing in the sense that when we pay attention to those specifics, life goes better. Let me remind you of some of them. The first four commandments speak to our relationship with God, our love of God. Let me find the right page in my notes. Love for God looks like avoiding flirtation with other gods. Love for God avoids worshiping idols. Love for God avoids using God's name lightly. Love for God honors a Sabbath day. It's one thing to declare that we love the Lord our God. But what does it look like to love the Lord our God? It looks like letting him be God alone. It looks like not taking his name lightly. Well, then the commandments shift to a focus on a relationship with one another. What's it look like to love your neighbor? Well, it means honoring and respecting your parents. It means respecting the lives of others and not taking life from them. It means being faithful in your relationship with your spouse. It means keeping your hands off other people's property. It means not lying about others or to others. It means not coveting the relationships or property of others. That's what love looks like. Now, we could get into all the meaning and nuances of these individual commandments. That's why sometimes pastors do multiple-week series on the Ten Commandments, because there's a lot in those commandments. But what I want us to see, just as an overall uh, idea this morning, is that's what the commandments are about. They are painting for us the picture of what love looks like, what love for God looks like and what love for one another looks like. That's what they're doing. And it is in loving that way that we find blessing. <clears throat> when Jesus answered that religious leader that day, that in, we read about in Matthew's gospel, he wasn't saying something brand new. That was not a new idea. In fact, you, you may or may not know that he was actually pulling from what's called the Shema. Behold, the Lord your God is one. And then the verses follow with love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. Pious Jews for centuries before the time of Jesus would say those words every day. And since the time of Jesus, pious Jews still do. In our own day, a religious Jew who has a pious uh, Jew will recite the Shema every day. So I say again, when Jesus spoke those words and answered the, the scribe by saying, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything and your neighbor as yourself. That was not a new idea. 
It was an ancient idea. The same God of love and grace who knows how the universe is meant to work was active in both Testaments, the Old and the New. Well, we're not Jesus. I'm not. You aren't. We can't accomplish what he alone could accomplish by sacrificing himself at the cross. But we can express gratitude for what he has done for us. We can express our love and devotion. We can express our commitment to Jesus Christ by paying attention to what love looks like, what love for God looks like, and what love for one another looks like. Speaking of the cross... Just to make sure I'm not being misunderstood this morning. I'm not saying that you keep the Ten Commandments, you're going to be saved. That's that's not what does it. We know, I hope, what, what brings salvation to us is our faith in Jesus Christ who gave his life for us at the cross. And accepting the gift of salvation, that's what brings it to us, not keeping the commandments. But you know the Apostle Paul, when he emphasized what, what, is, what salvation is all about, in his letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that's where we read, uh, so we are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, so that nobody can boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then do you remember what's in the very next verse, verse 10? So that, he then writes about being created anew in Jesus Christ. For what purpose? Anybody remember? Good works. It's not the good works that save us. The reality is that people who are saved end up doing good works. It's not the commandments that save us. But but people who understand how much they're loved by God and want to love him back end up paying attention to the commandments because that's that's what love looks like. Love of God and love of neighbor. Let me tell you a story told by Jeffrey Smead about a difference one Christian made by loving his neighbor. Uh, His neighbor was a man who really had no interest whatsoever in Christianity. I wasn't sure he believed in God at all. But the neighbors became casual friends. They borrowed things, you know, tools from one another. They sometimes chatted across the fence. And then one day this uh, non-believing neighbor told his Christian friend that his wife had just received a diagnosis of cancer. And it was serious. It was final stages. And as it turned out, the man's wife only lived three months, and then she died. After the experience was all over, that non-believing neighbor wrote a letter. I'm going to read part of it. He said, after the the death of his wife, he was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations in the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river and walked all night, but I didn't walk by myself. My neighbor, must have been afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. When the sun finally came up over the river, He came over to me and he said, let's go for some breakfast. 
The story continues in the man's letter closes this way. I go to church now, my neighbor's church, because a faith that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. What does love look like? Greatest commandment is not a point to be made in a debate. It's not the correct answer to a quiz. It's a life actually lived in devotion to God and our fellow creatures. Take just a few moments of quiet, if you will, to reflect on this. And take, be prepared to take with you from this place one at least one idea that you want to think about through the, day, through the week, pray about, or maybe you're far enough along with something you know you're going to do this week as you think about what it means to love God and what God looks like. We'll wait just a little bit and then Robert will close with a song.